So we are in uh, week four, looking at beautiful women in the Word of God, and today we are going to look at Deborah and a little bit at a woman named J.L. And before I get started into the story of Deborah and what she's done, I just want to give you a little bit of background. We are talking this morning about the Israelites, and the Israelites were God's chosen people. And at this point in scripture, the Israelites have walked into the promised land that God had said that they would inhabit. And God said, when you go into this promised land, I'm going to help you drive out all of the foreigners that are in that land. God is not asking them to drive out the foreigners just because he necessarily plays favorites. But these foreigners were, were, were worshiping other idols. They did not worship the one true God. And because we serve a God who longs for holiness and because he is not going to compete with anyone else, he says, okay, you are my chosen people, you are my children, and I want to make this as easy for you as possible, so you're gonna go inhabit the land and you're gonna drive out these other inhabitants that are currently there. However, when they get to the promised land, they're able to drive out most of the inhabitants, but not all of them. And we're going to pick up in Judges chapter 2, verse 21. It says, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I did this to test Israel and to see whether or not they would keep the Lord's way by walking in it as their fathers had. So God allowed them to drive out most of the inhabitants, but there was a remnant that was left behind. And this was allowed because God wanted to see if they would choose to worship him, even when they were surrounded by other options. He wanted a child, he wanted children that would choose obedience to him over choosing the sinful lifestyle. And yet the Israelites failed over and over again. And they got caught up in this cycle. God would perform a miracle for them, so the first miracle being when they got to inhabit actually the, the promised land, right? And they would be so thankful for the miracle that God had done that they would serve him wholeheartedly for a season. And then they would begin to forget what he had done. And they would start to forget his faithfulness. And so they would start to turn aside and worship other gods. They would turn to idols. And then once they got caught up in that sin trap and things didn't go well for them, they would get to a point of desperation where they would run back and they would say, God, help. This is the consequence of sin, and I think we can see it not just there in the Israelites, but in even our modern-day church. And our idols may not be gold statues, but our idols might be things like another person. It might be money. It might be a relationship. It might be a job. An idol is anything that sets itself on the throne of your heart before Jesus does. And so sometimes we get caught up pursuing these idols, pursuing things before him. And then we get frustrated when we've walked into the consequences of that sin. And then we're running back to God and saying, God, where are you? Help. And I am so, so thankful that we serve a God who is gracious, that even when we are suffering the consequences of our own choices, he sent judges in that time to redeem them. And for us, he has given us Jesus. So Judges chapter 2 Verse 16 says, The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of the marauders, but they did not listen to their judges. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them. They quickly turned from the way of their fathers who had walked in obedience to the Lord's command. They did not do as their fathers did. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned, 
because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. So there were three basic functions of a judge in this time period. They were there to bring administration. They were there to help settle disputes. And oftentimes, they were military leaders. However, they did not have sovereign authority like a king did or a governor would have had. So they were in a political position that had some authority, but the most important authority they had was the authority given by God. There was a holiness attached to the position that they were walking in. God entrusted them because they trusted him. And ladies, as we place our trust in him, he can entrust us to do things for his kingdom. So the Lord raised up these judges ultimately to save his people after they had gotten themselves in a predicament. Deborah was an appointed judge who was there to help bring restoration to the people. And there is no record for us in scripture of why or how Deborah specifically got put into that position. We open the pages of scripture and she's there. But we do know that it was a divine appointment. We do know that God intentionally placed her there. And God has chosen with you with intention as well. And the place he has you has significance for this time and this place. And oftentimes, I think we can just get comfortable with where God has us. Well, this is just the house I live in. And I'm just going to stay within my four walls rather than recognizing that the neighborhood that he has placed us in has people in it who need Jesus. This is just the soccer team I coach. It's just what I do on Mondays at 6 p.m. Rather than recognizing that the children on this field and the parents in these stands or bleachers need Jesus. And so we get way too comfortable in the places or the locations he has us rather than seeing them as a divine appointment. But God has not placed you in those positions for, for no reason at all. But he has an intentionality behind them. And so as we look at Judges chapter 4, we're going to look at how we can learn from Deborah and the intentionality with which that she carried out the position and influence that God had placed her in. There are three main reasons Deborah was able to accomplish all that God had asked of her. One, she intimately knew the Lord. She spent time with him. Number two, she was available. She made herself available to do the will of God and do what he had asked. And number three, she had complete faith in his power. She knew who he was. She trusted his character. So as we begin to study Deborah today, I want to ask you a few questions, some things I'd like you to process this morning. How intimately do you know him? Do you know his character to completely trust what he is asking of you? Are you available to be used by him for his purpose? And are you using the position that God has placed you in to glorify him? Whether it be in the office or the soccer field or in your neighborhood, whatever that position looks like. And number three, where does God have you specifically placed right now? And whose lives are you carrying influence in? As women, we wear lots of hats, don't we? Wives, moms, daughters, sisters, friends, teachers, business owners, housekeepers, chefs, chauffeurs, Pilates instructors, you name it, right? And we have all of those in this very room. 
But whatever that looks like for you, whatever position you do carry, you have this one thing in common. And that, God, that is that God has put you in those places and positions with his purpose in mind. It is not by accident. And Deborah wore many hats as well. We know that she was a wife, she was a judge, she was a prophet, and those are just the three specifically that scripture speaks to. She understood that in her role, her purpose was to point others directly to him. And like Deborah, our purpose is to discover, to discover how to lead boldly in the name of Jesus. In Minnesota, we are labeled as passive-aggressive, are we not? <laughs> and we can just go about life pretending like we don't see the mess that is in front of us. But God is calling women to rise up and no longer be passive, but to boldly lead in his name. Because there is a world that is searching and that is hurting, and he is calling us as his bride, as the church, to be women who live differently to be women who are set apart, that we don't get caught up in the same pattern that the world does, but that we live for him within purpose and intentionality in mind. Deborah inhaled that purpose and she exhaled the boldness to walk in it. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Judges chapter four. We're gonna start at verse one. It says, the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. So the Lord sold them to King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth of the nations. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, because Jabin had 900 iron chariots, and he harshly oppressed them for 20 years. Verse 1, it says, they again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So this is that vicious cycle I was talking about. They would forget the goodness of God and his faithfulness, and they would fall into sin. So God allowed them to be turned over to their sin. Why? Because we have a choice. And you know what? God could have created a world full of robots. But oftentimes, I think that we want God only to step into our circumstances when it's convenient for us. God, I don't want you to tell me what to do. I don't want to be controlled until I need your help. And he's saying, you know what? This is the beauty of free will. This is the beauty of free will, that you can choose to worship me, that you can choose to be yielded to me, that you can choose to trust me. They had free will. And verse three says, they cried out for help. So God sent Deborah, and she was a prophetess. She was gifted with the ability to hear messages directly from heaven. And she served God by communicating his desires to a people. And some of you might even say, well, that's great for her, but I don't operate in that gifting. But do you realize that prophecy is the one gift in scripture that says we are to pursue above all other gifts? 1 Corinthians 14, starting at verse one, says, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, and above all that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men, but to God since no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. But the person who prophesies speaks to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another language builds himself up, but he who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other languages, but even more that you prophesied. 
The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in languages unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. Ladies, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that God desires that his church walks in the prophetic? That we exhort, that we encourage, that we speak life. But how can we even begin to walk in that gifting if we don't know what his voice sounds like, if we haven't spent time with him, if we don't hear his voice. Deborah was chosen to be their helper and influence God's people because of the intimacy that she had with him. And God knew that the best way to get a people to turn back to him was to send them someone who already had that intimacy with him. So there are people in your world that God wants to turn back to him. And it is required that we walk in intimacy with him because he knows that that is what's gonna draw him first and foremost. You see, when they see the intimacy and the intentionality with which we live, they're going to be drawn to that. They're going to want the peace that we have. They're gonna want the authority that we have. They're gonna want the confidence that we walk in. But if we're not actually walking in it, then what's going to draw them? Intimacy with God is at the core of our life as believers. Psalm 73, 28 says, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Being near to him means making it a priority to daily be in his word and prayer, communicating with him. God wants you to use your influence over people in the zone that he has you in. But we have to first know him to be trusted by him. Our level of influence for him will be determined by our intimacy with him. Our level of influence for him will be determined by our level of intimacy with him. So are you available? Are you available for him to use you so that his will can be accomplished? We're gonna go on to verse five. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to settle disputes. Now, we don't know if Deborah was a mom or not. Scripture does not tell us. But it does say that she was a mother to Israel. And if this does not describe a mom, or right? I mean, how many times a day are you putting out fights? Let's just be real. This is how she spent her time, keeping everybody happy. Verse 6, she summoned Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, deploy the troops on Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the Naphtalites and Zebulonites. Then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, his chariots, and his infantry at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you, and I will hand him over to you. Okay. The Lord gives Deborah a word for Barak, and she is to tell him that he is supposed to go fight this battle. He is a military leader, so this shouldn't be a crazy request to ask a military commander to step into battle. And not only is she calling him to step into battle, but she's saying, you are promised that you will win, okay? This is like God calling you to be a quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings and promising you that you're gonna get a Super Bowl victory. I mean, the odds are not great, but if God calls you, it could happen. I'm just saying. 
Verse 8. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So imagine God has called you to be this quarterback for the Vikings, and you say, can I bring my mom with? (laughs) I mean, really, he was a military commander, and he wants the woman who sits under the tree giving advice all day long to go with him. This was conditional obedience. God called him to step into battle. He promised the victory, and he said, well, I will go, but... Only if you do it my way. Only if you help. I mean, I know you've promised the victory, God, but I just, I'm not really sure I can trust you. I'm not quite convinced, God, that you are faithful. I'm not really sure, God, that you know what you're talking about, so I'm going to go. But I need the woman of faith to go with me. And have you ever found yourself reliant on someone else's faith to lead you into a victory? You see, sometimes we don't want to go directly to God. We want to go to our pastor or our spiritual leader to give us the wisdom to step out into victory. And I am not downplaying the incredible value that comes from having spiritual authority. But they should be affirming what God is speaking to you. They should be pointing you back to the word. They are not your God. They are just an incredible source that God has gifted the body with. But our faith is in him alone. And we don't need our spiritual leaders to lead us through. We need him to lead us through with them cheering us along on the way. There is wisdom in listening to the wisdom and counsel of spiritual authority. But it cannot be a substitute for your personal faith in who he is. You have to know his character. You have to know what he is asking of you. The book of John says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is not reserved just for your spiritual leaders because we are all sheep, which means we all have the ability to hear from him. We all have the ability to hear his voice when we have spent time with him in intimacy. Verse nine, Deborah says, I will gladly go with you but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take because the Lord will sell Sisera to a woman. So Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Can you just imagine with me the exasperation on this woman's face as the military leader says, I'll go only if you hold my hand? I mean, I can just imagine her sitting under the tree. It's like when your kid wants to go do something and And it's super simple, but they won't do it without you holding their hand along the way. You're like, seriously? You're 12 years old. I'm pretty sure you can figure this out. (laughs) This is what it's likened to. The commander of the army, the one trained for battle, was fearful to do the work that God had called him to. But this wife, mother, and judge, her response was to go. She says, I will gladly go with you. I will gladly walk in obedience to my king. I will gladly make sure that God's plans and purposes are fulfilled. Serving him doesn't always mean we have to be the most well-trained or equipped. We just need to be the most obedient. God called Barak to do it, and he may have been the most well-trained, and he may have been the most equipped for the situation, but he uses Deborah 
because she was the one who was willing to hear his voice and immediately obey. God wants to use us to accomplish the impossible, and he's able and willing. But are you going to be a Barak, or are you going to be a Deborah? Are you going to hear what he speaks to you and pull back in fear? Or are you going to say, yes, Lord, I will gladly go. I will gladly be obedient to accomplish your purposes and your plans. This type of faith and this boldness in your life, it might seem overwhelming. And you might feel that lack is, that you lack what is needed to move forward. Guess what? You probably do. Because you know what? If I had everything I needed to step forward in the battle in my own strength, I wouldn't need him. There wouldn't be any miraculous in that. He wouldn't get the glory. People would look to me. But it's not about me because I am lacking, because I am human, because without him, I am nothing. And so we can't look at what we have within and of ourselves. We have to look at him and who he is. Chris Durso, the pastor of Christ Tabernacle Church in New York, says this, I've never seen a person serve Jesus wholeheartedly and lose at the same time. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that if we serve him wholeheartedly, that he would leave us high and dry? The word says that I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread because we know he's good. And even when we can't see the victory right in front of us, we can know his character. We can lean in and confidently rely on what he has said and what he is asking of us. God's not going to ask you to do something and then leave you on your own to accomplish it. He's going to go before you in the battle. Verse 14, and Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Imagine that. They step into battle, and God does exactly what he had promised. You see, Deborah trusted the vision that God had given her, and she knew that he would bring his plan to completion. God did the work. Man didn't have to. And Deborah proclaims in verses 9 and 14 that no matter where you are going, the Lord goes before you. So whatever your position is today, he's asking you to check your perspective. Do you know that he's gone before you? Do you know that he's faithful? Do you know that he's taking care of everything and that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? He is not, God, he is not man that he could lie. We know that he is faithful. And so if his word says it, we can stand on it, we can believe it. And when we're passionately pursuing him, it's a whole lot easier to trust him to accomplish that. Philippians 1.6, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue this work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And maybe you don't outwardly love the position that God currently has you in. He might be asking you to step into something new. It might be a bit scary. 
But whatever he's asking of you, you can be assured that if it is from him, it will be good. Where you are leading from doesn't matter. It's who you are pointing to. Who are you pointing to? All right, we're going to move on to verse 17. Meanwhile, Sisera had fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Because there was peace between King Jabin of Hazor and the family of Heber the Kenite, Jael went out to greet Sisera and said to him, Come in, my lord, come in with me. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. So in case you're not following, they had gone and they had the... the um, Barak and the 10,000 men had gone, they had attacked, God had delivered the army into their hands, everyone was taken care of, except the commander of the army who had fled away on foot. And so Sisera, who is this commander, runs away, and he runs to what he thought was a trusted friend, um, Heber the Kenite, and his wife Jael. So Jael opens up her door to Sisera and invites him in, and this is where we're at now in the story. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. He said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened a container of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him again. Then he said to her, stand at the entrance to the tent. If a man comes and asks you, is there a man here, say no. While he was sleeping from exhaustion, Heber's wife, Jael, took a tent peg, grabbed a hammer, and went slightly to Sisera. She hammered the peg into his temple and drove it into the ground, and he died. When Barak arrived in pursuit of Sisera, Jael went out to greet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he went in with her, and there was Sisera lying dead with a tent peg through his temple. And that day, God subdued King Jabin of Canaan before the Israelites. Sisera is dead, but at the hand of a woman, not the military leader. Jael was a tent dweller, okay? This means that they were responsible for supplying tools to those on the battlefield. And being a tent dweller meant that they would move often to be near the battlefront so that they could make the tools and then provide them to those on the battlefield. This would have been behind-the-scenes service. When headed into battle, we never hear of those who make the weapons being praised for the part in the victory. And yet, I don't know about you, but I would not want to go on the battlefield without the weapons that are needed to do battle. I would feel awfully unprepared. And Jael operated in this behind-the-scenes faithfulness. She wasn't a woman of influence in the community like Deborah was. She was a tent dweller who used what she had to do God's purpose and to bring it forward. She took a life of a man who had more power, more influence, more strength than she did. And sometimes we think, well, once I'm older, if only I were younger, when I get to this position, when I get to this place, when I have enough money, when I get the right job, when my kids are older, and God is saying, oh no, I have called you to use what you have, where you are, to accomplish my purpose. And when you are in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, when he asks you to do something, whatever that season is, wherever he has you, then you can walk out 
in obedience to that and accomplish his purpose and his plan. Judges 5.24 says, Jael is most blessed of women. The wife of Heber the Kenite, she is most blessed among tent-dwelling women. The Hebrew word for blessed here is Barak. And it means to bless God as an act of adoration and to bless man as a benefit. Now this Hebrew word Barak and the name Barak throughout the story has just a slight difference, but it sounds the same. And I don't think this would have been lost on the Israelite people. That what God intended this man to walk in in victory, to bless God as an act of adoration, was accomplished through a woman who could just walk in simple obedience because she heard the voice of her Lord calling her forward. She received his blessing. God is going to accomplish his purpose whether we're obedient to him or not because if we are not obedient, he will bring someone in our place. So do you want to walk in the blessing of that obedience and do you want to be a part of the victory that he is calling you to or do you want to leave it for someone else? Israel was victorious in this season because of two women who walked in obedience to him. And are you willing today to say, you know what? My intimacy with you is what matters most. I want to hear your voice. I want to know what it sounds like. So when you ask me to do something, I immediately obey you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that it does not return void, but that it seeks to accomplish all that you have for us. And I thank you, Lord, for the incredible example that you have given us in Deborah and Jael. Lord, women who walked in obedience to you, who listened to your voice, Father, and were not afraid to do what you asked. And I pray, Lord, that you would raise up a bold, faith-filled group of women, Lord, a sisterhood that is not afraid to speak truth to carry out your mission and your vision so that lives are changed. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.